Youthscape podcast, a podcast for Christians who work with young people. And welcome back to this episode of the Youthscape podcast, the final episode in this explosive season. My name's Rachel Gardner and I'm joined by my colleague, Martin Saunders. And Martin, I wanted to come to you first of all and ask you for some of your highlights from this season. From this season? Because we've had so many It's been an extended season. It has been an extended season. And we've covered so much ground, haven't we? Looking at conversations around addiction and disability and money and power and so many things. As you cast your mind back. If you're listening to this because we've got a great guest today and you think, oh, oh, wow, I'll listen to that one. Go back. Do yourself a (laughs) favour. Like and subscribe. Go back and listen to everything from this uh, season because it's been gold all the way through. So we've been having big conversations about uh, how to have big conversations with young people. Uh, about the, the the topics that sometimes we can find really complex, mm-hmm. and so we had a we kicked off with that brilliant uh, conversation with Jade Reynolds about uh, disability, and obviously she's been uh, using a wheelchair since she was a teenager. She was just incredibly honest and vulnerable and real in a way that we you know um, it was amazing that she did. It was incredible uh, insight into t- and we talked about the issue of healing and praying for healing with young people um, who've got. Um, disabilities and I thought that was a a, you know that was probably one of the highlights of the whole season we'd only just started um and then dear Dan Kimball who I spoke to uh you know you don't obviously hopefully this doesn't come across when we we, you listen to the podcast but bless him because he was in Los Angeles he just he'd offered to do it sort of one in the morning and then the technology didn't really work. And so by the time we actually recorded it, it basically couldn't, you just needed to get up for the next day. Uh, but it, it was a fantastic conversation about the hard parts of the Bible and how we talk about those um, with young people. Uh, you did a great interview with Lauren Wynn. We'll go back and listen to that. So I'm just doing the whole it's season. Been, yeah, now, it's been I? good. It's and a then, good season. And then, of course, a few weeks ago, yeah, Shane, Shane Claiborne. Shane new best friend so it goes down as a pretty strong season it has and we have a most incredible guest who we will introduce this person a little bit later so hold hold your horses hold your horses but i i love the title of this person's new book again hold your horses he won't tell you what it is yet it is superbly provocative it is superbly accurate but i it got me thinking martin i wanted to fling this to you i think if there is a critique from me on this season. Yes. I think a little bit, my mindset has been, I'm assuming that young people are aware they might want to talk about these issues, money, power, disability, healing, whatever it might be. They maybe are coming to us as their youth pastors, mentors, and asking us questions. Can we say hashtag? That is not often how it happens. But just, maybe what, you that, and that's I... That's not how hashtags you, work. It's not how hashtags work. I like to write in full sentences, even in texts with a test, full thoughts at the end. But I, uh, my question to you is, even if young people are not presenting us with certain questions, where is the time where we have to agitate that? Where Ooh. we need to be the ones that say, guys, we've got to talk about this. Yeah. Now, safely, kindly, age appropriately. But actually, we move from being those that just sit alongside and say, what do you want to talk about today? And are those saying, come on, guys, we have to talk about this topic. Yeah. When do we like drop the bomb? When do we do that stuff? Well, 
In the youth group context, this is where it's all about how you program your term. I how you say program young people. How you program <laughs> your year. Um, because what you're slightly, you know, you're hitting the edges of there is the fact that lots of the time, many young people don't really care about any number of these things. So we love to, I mean, gosh, how many times have we heard people on stages or have you and I stood mm. on stages and said, young people are activists. Young people want to change the world. They care about, deeply they about. They clean their bedrooms. Yeah, they, care, they care about, you know, that, yeah, exactly that. You know, they care about climate change, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, actually, quite Quite often, they don't care about those things. Like or they've it's got, not the most important thing. Yeah, well, they don't. Or they don't care. Or they don't care. Yeah. Like, let's don't defend teenagers yes. all the time, Rachel. Honestly, always, always defending them. Um, but they, but sometimes they don't care, yeah, yeah. and sometimes they need us to come alongside them and help them see why things are important. And so, great um, example I heard from uh, the local work here. I remember um, there was a uh, a protest going on in uh, London, which was um, which was a sort of climate justice, a Greta Thunberg kind of uh, inspired march that was happening. And lots of young people left school for the day and went and marched. And lots of those young people did so because they are young climate activists. Mm-hmm. But... The, some of the young people that we grabbed here, I remember Jemima actually came on the podcast and talked about this, I think. Some of them, they had no idea why this was interesting. But school. the chance at a day off school, oh, they were like, man. give me that placard, I'm coming to London. <laughs> yeah. But then yes, they, they the went there yeah. and they got it and they got excited about it and they came Come back on. and they were evangelistic about it. So so sometimes it does take us, you know, we, we, we should give young people a lot of credit, but sometimes... We don't want to overdo that. Sometimes they do need a bit of help to understand why an issue is important. Of course they do, because there's so much going on in the world. Adolescence is the most complicated period you'll ever go through in human development. And so you've got all this stuff internally and externally to process. Of course you can't focus on all of it. And so you need a guide, which is part of the role of the youth worker, to come alongside and say, this stuff matters. And so that's what the season's been about. Because we absolutely do not want to fall into the trap of either victimising young people. Oh, woe is them. Yeah. All this stuff is coming their way. There's no way they can do anything with it. They're just going to like drown under it. Yeah. Or that we idolise. Like, aren't they amazing? Like, every idea they have is yes. revolutionary. And both those are really We definitely unhelpful. lean more that way, don't yeah. we? We're definitely like... we love young people, don't we? Young people are the hope of the future. Yeah. And they are. Yeah, yeah. They're, well, they're a wonder to behold, not a problem to be solved. I think that's a Michael, Michael Ostracker comment, isn't it? You made him very Germanic. It's a lovely surname. I had to get my teeth around that one. But that is really, really important. And I am very excited about today's guest because I think if there's one topic that I think has become like the wallpaper of young people's lives, that they they on the whole unless I'm chatting with a young person who has grown up within a family who has very vocally talked about how dangerous and damaging and harmful pornography is in terms of sex, sexual intimacy, how people feel about themselves, about gender interplay, about how men treat women, etc., etc. I think the vast majority of young people that I've met with over the last 20 years are fairly neutral on the topic of porn mm. and on sexting and on nudes. They think it's just, it's just, it just happens. It's just what happens. 
happens and it doesn't have any impact. And I think there's one topic that I love to agitate around. It's, it, is the, it is this topic here. And, it, and I don't find that it comes from young people, but we have to say, right, let's talk about this. What kind of influence is this having? And, and as young people find themselves in safe spaces where they can talk about the pornification of culture, but they can talk about expectations that they have on their own bodies or other people's bodies or what's consenting suddenly they it makes sense and they feel a rage they feel absolute rage that they've been fed this diet of stuff that is so damaging so I'm really excited about this guest and I have yet to interview her as I sit here having this chat with you Martin well, look at that. I you've hope you just pulled back the fourth wall I there have. yeah that's fine because we haven't had an interview yet but I hope this utterly kicks off and that this just goes crazy. Because <laughs> I'd love us to end with a kind of an interview that's like divides people. So Melinda tankard Reist <laughs> is like a world oh, leading voice in this area. Uh, she's a, a really well-respected Australian writer, commentator, uh, thinker on uh, these areas and lo- lots of areas actually surrounding this. She's got a new book coming out uh, in July which is called he chose porn over me women harmed by men who use porn that's that, a powerful title that is it? provocative yeah and so we thought about this and we thought who should we send in to interview uh melinda tankard rice shall we send uh rachel who's written <laughs> books about sex and has thought and talked about this for years is a well-known uh, and beloved feminist <laughs> no. uh, leader or no, me no no and so yeah no we sent rachel in well. so this is what's going to happen <laughs> when rachel meets melinda I'd like to start by quoting something you said that I found such a brilliant example of your writing. And and you wrote this in response to teenage girls around the country asking you to get boys to stop the sexual moaning noises every time girls walk in the room. And you wrote this. These everyday sexual affronts tell us a great deal about how entrenched the objectification of girls is. They tell us how widespread is the callousing of our young men, the erosion of empathy, the decay of civil behaviour and the social arson caused by mass pornography saturation. I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are you seeing right now? How how bad is the situation? Could you set a bit of a scene for us? Well, I'm glad you liked that paragraph because I I felt that paragraph pretty much summarised everything I was trying to say. So I've been writing and speaking on sexualisation of young people objectification of women, porn, porn culture, violence against women for a long time. And I've just had my seventh book published. But I must say that things have got worse and I didn't think they could get worse. I thought I'd heard every terrible story I could. But even resuming my speaking this year in schools, uh, the stories are, are far worse and they're far worse at younger ages. So what girls used to tell me, in senior secondary, they're they're now telling me at 11 and 12 years of age. Uh, They're enduring sexual moaning every day, boys uh, simulating orgasm in front of them, every day being touched, being groped, being ranked on their bodies according to the bodies of porn stars, having jokes made about their bodies, being demanded to send naked pictures 
or boys sending dick pics that were unasked for, um, being propositioned, just daily sexual intrusions, daily sexual harassment that they think is normal because they've become so used to it that they think they just have to endure this. They don't even recognise it as sexual harassment often until they've heard, until they hear me speak. They're used to being treated as objects. Um, they're used to being judged for their bodies, reduced to porn fantasy props. Um, and this is all what porn and porn culture uh, ha- has done. And so I'm hearing multiple disclosures. Every school I go to, girls disclosing sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, rape, just standard every school I go to. It doesn't matter what kind of school it is or where it is. Could you talk a bit more about how you see porn affecting young people's sexuality in harmful ways? Absolutely. I'd I'd love to do that. So cultural norms are being taught through uh, pornography and a sexist culture is grooming sexist boys. So boys are not born like this. This is not innate behaviour. We have groomed them. We have allowed them to be groomed by the global predatory porn industry. We have allowed them to be taught a very commodified, commercialised, industrialised view of sexuality. And now we're seeing the fruits of that. We're seeing that play out. The world's biggest department of education is the porn industry. That's where uh, boys are going to find out about sexuality. It, it, has, it presents sex, it presents women as existing for their gratification and pleasure. And so boys have been taught to link sex and aggression to be dominant, to be controlling, that girls exist for them, that they should be entitled to the bodies of girls. That's what porn teaches them. Uh, porn teaches them rape myths. It teaches them that no means means yes, uh, that they have the right to, to dominate women and girls. And, and here you have this total poisonous ecosystem that we're trying to raise healthy human beings in and we've completely failed. We've completely failed in our role, our duty to nurture and protect children. And now we're seeing it. We're seeing globally, including in the UK, a rise of child-on-child sexual assault never before seen in history. We're seeing more adolescent boys figuring now in global statistics on sexual assault. Again, at rates never before seen. And all of the experts, most of the experts certainly a lot of the global research now is attributing this to the consumption of porn. And, and here we have this dichotomy where I don't, this is probably happening in the UK, it's certainly happening here. We have millions of dollars being put into respect and consent education programs, trying to teach consent, trying to teach respect. We're trying to teach boys don't treat girls like pieces of meat. But when they consume porn, porn's saying, well, girls are pieces of meat. Uh, so the best consent program in the world just cannot compete with what the multi-billion dollar porn industry is teaching boys uh, about women and girls. And and this is uh, one of the reasons we're seeing such a rise in, in violence against women and girls around around the world. This is why I use the phrase um, social arson that, that you quoted. 
I guess people might regularly ask you, um, well, haven't we just lost the war on porn? Don't we just need to accept that, that this is going to be the landscape of young people's lives? Um, you know, that powerful comment you made about the greatest educator of our young people is, is porn. So, so how come you've not given up the fight? Because the landscape of porn is just so widespread. So, so if we haven't lost the war, what, how are you still fighting? Where's that coming from? Well, I can understand that feeling and there are days that I do feel that it's too too late, but I cannot allow our young people's formation to be left in the hands of the global porn industry. I, I can't allow a situation where girls think it's normal to be choked, to be bruised, to be whipped, to be bound, uh, to be treated poorly by boys who have porn-driven expectations, who who just see girls as basically living sex dolls, who treat them as more like objects and less less like human beings. And because what does this say for us as a civilization? If we say it's over, we take a hands-off approach, where does that lead us? You know, this is a something that has been occupying my mind a lot lately. For example, take the issue of the sexual groaning and the moaning noises that are being made, including by boys who are very young, imitating the older boys. The girls are hearing this in the classroom, in the schoolyard, on the school bus. If those boys are allowed to do that and are never pulled up by any adult, never brought to account, never told that's inappropriate, you shouldn't behave like that, what what happens when those boys leave school? What happens if they enter the police force? What happens if they become judges judging a sexual harassment case? You know, like this really, I, I do think the future of civilization is hanging in the balance here. And that may, may sound extreme, but, you know, I occupy this space every day pretty much. And, you know, should, do we just say it's too hard and we should allow boys to think that sexuality is, is, should be framed around conquest and, and taking uh, rather than mutuality, respect, shared pleasure, um, you know, because we're, we're actually robbing boys of loving intimate experiences as well because we've allowed them to be, be callous, to be brutal, to just take what they want, uh, to demand what they want. And girls are being taught to be subservient, to be submissive, that, you know, sexual empowerment lies in being sexually available and sexy and up for it 24-7 and not saying no because that would be prudish and, and hung up. You know, you don't have a right to have any boundaries and that's sort of backward. I mean, we've just told them lies. Um, again, what does it mean for the formation of long-term intimate partnerships? What does it mean for the raising of children, of family life, of, you know, true intimacy and connection and, you know, authentic connection, let alone love. <laughs> like that's crazy talk, I know. But, you know, don't they have a right to know what love might be like, you know, rather than what they're experiencing now? You're an author of seven books. I mean, your work is incredibly evidence-based, both in terms of sort of robust academia, but also in your day-to-day -day interactions with young people. And, and as someone, myself, who spent 20 years working with young people, it, the things that you say are self-evident, 
I share your rage and your desire for something more for young people. But, but I guess that your message isn't always received well and, and you get pushback. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what that's like and, and where that's coming from for people? Why is there not a global consensus that porn is harmful for young people? Yeah, for sure. Well, of course, there's going to be pushback from vested interests because they need to groom the next generation of consumers. That's their business model. It's a predatory business model. They need to groom the next generation of consumers to keep their business going. So, of course, they're not going to be happy. We've been part of a global campaign to bring Pornhub to account for rape videos, for non-consensual image sharing, for videos of underage girls, for trafficking and uh, Pornhub was called before the Canadian Parliament's Ethics Committee. Now their executives of MindGeek, which owns uh, Pornhub, have, have resigned and there's civil actions afoot to, to sue uh, Pornhub. So, you know, at last, you know, there's hopefully going to be, you know, some accountability and some redress for the devastation and destruction this industry is causing. Uh, but, of course, there's going to be pushback. Y you know, if you stand up, to the, the global porn merchants, you know, of course they're not going to be uh, happy about that. But, you know, I just don't see how we can let let this let this happen and just chew up and spit out an entire um, generation which, uh, you know, has, has the most to lose. Could we drill down a little bit into how practitioners listening to this um, might go about beginning conversations with young people about porn? I mean, one of the things that I find as a youth worker is that I might have young people um, sat with me who um, are curious about sex and sexuality, others who may have experienced sexual assault, um, others who are feeling traumatised by the stuff that they've seen online, others that are just sort of blissfully maybe still unaware of this. So they have a whole range of experiences. How, how do we as practitioners open up conversations about porn mm -hmm. okay. well uh, just ask ask some questions uh you know are your friends seeing this i've i've heard this i've heard that these things are happening at school has that happened at your school you know finding what we call that that teachable moment you see an inappropriate image inappropriate you know music video clip or video game or whatever it is and use that as a teachable moment and and also it's not just what we say um, it, it's also what we're modeling in the home are we modeling uh, healthy relationships how does dad talk to mum how, uh, how what how are brothers allowed to talk to the sister um, are we are we building empathy and emotional literacy in boys are there consequences for a bad behavior for treating women and girls badly are they called to account or not um, so it's not always what we say it's what, what we're modeling in our homes in our communities and you know the communities that you're um, addressing and representing today in your program really should be at the forefront of healthy conversations around relationships and sexuality and and what what this should look like what what's healthy what's what's you know what's the contrast What's the differentiation to the depersonalized, hurtful view of sexuality that is uh, degrading and painful and often violating? What what do we offer? What do we propose that is is better than than that? Um, I offer resources that help parents. I um, make available a book uh, called How to Talk to Your Kids About Porn, and also another book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. So How to Talk to Your Kids About Porn, uh, the parent reads. 
to equip you to have these very difficult conversations that we would rather not have. Let's face it, we would rather not have to have these conversations. Uh, the second book is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, which you read with your child. It helps porn-proof your child. It also helps your child to know what to do if they are exposed to porn because that's the inevitability. You know, average age now is around 9, 10 years of age of, of first exposure. So these books help help equip parents and caregivers to have those conversations. So, yeah, it's, it's keeping the channels of communication open because the child will be exposed to porn. If they think you're going to have a meltdown or they're going to be shamed or in trouble, they're not going to tell you next time. They'll end up in worse places. So you you have to keep the channels of communication open so they see you as a trusted person to talk to about these things. I like uh, the phrase, the power in the mention, um, because as, as you correctly identified, uh, whether young people are accessing pornography or not they're living in a world where porn is shaping lots of the social interactions among their peers and actually if we could find the courage and the confidence to name the things that we'd be willing to have conversations with that really helps young people to know oh all this stuff that I'm curious about or is in the world around me there are some safe adults who I could have these conversations with and and Melinda you spend a lot of time in schools um and when you chat to young people, do you get a sense from them of what it is they want from the adults in their lives when it comes to conversations or activism around pornography? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I had a young woman say to me, you're the first adult that, that understood me, that you're the first adult that, that validated my experience, which was a very humbling thing and a very sad thing to hear. Um, she felt understood and heard for the first time. And this is why I think girls tell us so much because you know they don't feel safe telling other people or they don't feel listened to or heard or that action will be taken they see boys getting away with these behaviors over and over again even female teachers uh, tell me that they get groaned and moaned at as well I mean this is sexual harassment it's a crime you know the schools that allow this have failed not only to create a safe educational environment which is their their duty certainly in this country uh, they have also failed to create a safe workplace for for female teachers. So the, the, the students and the teachers are telling us that they don't expect to be, be treated well. They expect mistreatment. They expect to find disgusting comments about their bodies when they get home from school and they open their social media pages they expect the pressure and the coercion I've had girls as young as 14 say how do I say no without hurting his feelings I've had girls as young as 15 say can you please tell the boys to stop talking to us about the porn they watched last night I've had girls tell us that they've been subjected to boys masturbating to them on the buses on the way home they don't even want to catch the bus you know with the boys and these stories are happening in in the the UK as well um I was going to quote actually a BBC report that quoted a, a 13-year-old boy who said, one of my friends has started treating women like he sees on the videos, not major, just a slap here or there. And a girl the same age said, it can make a boy not look for love, just look for sex, and it can pressure us girls to act and look and behave in a certain way before we might be ready for it. So I think girls would like the adults in their lives to understand just how hard this is, how difficult it is to be to be a young woman what they're subjected to. Also, I think adults need to understand that, you know, it's really not safe to allow your child to be behind a closed door with a device. Um, You know, you're handing them porn, you're handing them predators, you're handing them extreme violence. 
gruesome videos, you know, just extreme torture, suffering, animal cruelty, um, you know, even aside from from the porn, which they, they will see. And I, I think we've been a bit too casual about it. I think perhaps we've wanted to be our kid's best friend rather than their parent. And, you know, it's really harming our kids. The re- research that was leaked by the Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hagen, uh, from internal research of Facebook, which owns Instagram, they knew for a long time that when girls scroll through Instagram, their mood goes down, you know. And there's this... Um, fascinating and disturbing uh, research charting the rise of self-harm in girls since 2009 when smartphones and social media were introduced. It's it's quite shocking to see mm-hmm. the stats on girls and self-harm. So I think for adults to understand the world their kids are growing up in, how bad things are, the risks that our children are, are at, and that's not alarmist, that's just factual. We're hearing more from police about, uh, you know, hidden webcams and webcams in in homes, girls being, you know, just spied on, so many things to be concerned about. So, yeah, understanding their world and being someone they can trust in that world that they can come to, talk to, uh, you know, again, the communities that you would uh, be speaking to can be safe spaces, should be safe spaces to have these conversations. But sadly, uh, girls are telling me even in their youth groups, uh, they're experiencing these kind of behaviours. So my question is, where's the point of differentiation? Have Why have we failed to raise good boys What and form good boys? What is going on there? Like I think that's the question of the 21st century, our failure to no. form good men, even in places I mean, where there should be the best men. I guess any conversation about pornography with a young person or between you and I on this podcast, it starts somewhere, but in the end, very quickly, we realise this is a big societal issue. It's not just individual people struggling with porn. It's about a whole society's um, collective acceptance of something that is so very damaging. So uh, as practitioners, what can we do in our own individual settings to contribute to that louder shake, that louder shout to wake up society? Well, I'm glad you've asked me because we're actually hoping to launch a Collective Shout in the UK later this year. I'll be in the UK for the uh, Philia conference, which is the biggest feminist conference in, in Europe, which is being held in, in Cardiff in October. And I'll be launching my, my, my new book there. And we've been contacted by a number of women in the UK saying, look, we need Collective Shout here. Uh, so I'm hoping you will have Collective Shout in the UK. So we're a grassroots campaigning movement uh, for a world free of sexploitation. So we fight against sexualization, objectification, porn, porn culture, trafficking, violence against women, and we draw the links between all of those things because attitudes lead to behaviours. So it's the shaping the formation of attitudes in a toxic culture that leads to harmful behaviours because we've, we've, we've just allowed that. We've allowed the embedding of of explicit imagery and messaging, uh, porn culture at, at every level of society, you know, including the, the shopping mall and the, the billboards. It's the, the wallpaper of our young people's lives. And so Collective Shout really began as a reaction to, to this toxic culture. My third book, Getting Real, Challenging the Sexualization of Girls, had just come out and it gathered the global research on the harms of, of sexualizing and objectifying girls. And people were contacting me and saying, well, we know what the research says, but where's the, where's the uprising? Where's the movement against this? What can we do? People wanted to take action. And then one of the contributors to the book wrote to me and said, 
your book is a collective shout against the pornification of culture. And I really like that phrase. And I thought I need an excuse just to use those words. I'm going to start this movement. And that was 12 years ago. And we really punch above our weight. There's just five of us. And last year alone, we had 20 victories. Seven of those were global. We helped to run the Let Them Wear Shorts campaign, supporting the Norwegian beach handball players who were fined for inappropriate clothing for swapping uh, bikini bottoms for bike shorts. And they were fined for that in the beach handball tournament in Spain. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, We got child sex abuse dolls down off Alibaba. These are replica children, lifelike, anatomically correct. They can be custom made to look like a real child, a real living child. Uh, We got those down off Alibaba, 23 factories that were selling them through Alibaba. Um, Multiple other victories. We've got three porn magazines bought down here in Australia that just don't publish anymore. Some of those had published here for 80 years. We got rid of them in seven weeks. So we punch above our weight. We run campaigns in Australia and globally. We equip people to take action. You know, we we have to live here too. We have to we have to live here. Why? Who said this stuff was okay? Like, who decided that the vested interests of global corporations should come before the well-being of the community, the well-being of, of children, especially women and children? Like, who decided that? And you know, if we don't speak out, then we're accepting the situation. You know, what what we don't speak out against, our silence makes us complicit. And uh, I decided certainly I didn't want to be to be silent. So Collective Shout makes it easy for people to protest. We we make it easy to campaign. We say, here's the problem, here's who to contact, here's how you do it. We have petitions through change.org. We uh, campaign mostly through social media. 99% would be through social media, targeting these corporations, plastering the faces of the, their executives all over social media with whatever their offending product is, and, and we win as a result. People contact us and say, you make us feel brave. We feel brave. In, wow. the, in the past, we might have thought, Am I the only one that feels this way? Am I the only one having this reaction to, say, padded bras for little kids, little girls, or, you know, offensive billboards or uh, violent porn-themed videos next to the kids' section, you know? So we decided that, um, yeah, we launched the movement and thousands of people have now joined, and as a result uh, we're, we're seeing victories, you know, around the world. So... Yes, things are dark. Yes, we stare into the abyss every day. Yes, there's some days you think maybe it's too hard, but we have to remember the the good stories as well, you know, all the victories that we've had, the fact that, you know, girls tell us they're now standing up for themselves, they're enforcing their boundaries, they're acting on their their values, they're not going to be pushed around, they're allowed to say no. They'll say things like, after hearing your message, you know, I realise I'm allowed to say no. No is a complete sentence, they'll say. Uh, We have more boys saying they don't want to conform to toxic scripts about masculinity. They don't want the porn industry to run their lives. Uh, They don't want to be bystanders. They want to to have healthy relationships with with women. Um, And that's, you know, those things are a sign of hope, and I have to remind myself of this, this, you know, Mm -hmm. most days. But I think there is a bit of a tipping point happening globally. I think uh, people are now, when I first started speaking on, porn more than a decade ago I was mocked and derided and made fun of and trolled and memes were made about me and you know just totally mocking me with that line out of um you know the Simpsons will someone think of the children and um all of that do you have the Simpsons there we do yeah you know what I'm talking about and but now like you know a lot of those those my opponents 
Anna's vocal because the global research is so compelling and so solid now about the effects of porn, particularly on young people and particularly in linking sex and aggression, aggression sex and, and domination, um, sexuality as equated with, with cruelty. Um, you know, the, the research is, is backing everything my colleagues and I were predicting over a decade ago. It's all, it's all come true. And so we need to present a better vision about, you know, intimacy and, and tenderness and connection and uh, not just this cruel, debased, degrading, depersonalised version of, of human sexuality, which isn't serving anyone. I have no doubt that anyone listening to you today on this podcast will be really intrigued to find out more about your work. Um, and it's really exciting that you're coming to the UK in October. So we'll make sure that in our show notes, we'll put down links where you can find out more about that um, the time that uh, Melinda's coming over. Um, you've written a number of books. Um, you've already mentioned some of them. So you guys definitely check out Melinda's work. But um, you're at the moment about to launch, or it's about to be launched, your latest book with a very provocative title, he chose porn over me. Can you tell us something about this book and how we can get hold of the copy? So the book has literally just been printed and uh, it'll be, we're, we're just planning the launches now. The book is, is a collection of 25 personal accounts of women describing what it is like to be in a relationship with a habitually porn-consuming man. And uh, literally the book just arrived on my doorstep yesterday. So uh, we are launching that in Australia. We're having a global launch actually most likely on July the 26th. I can confirm that with you. I was just talking to my publishers a short time ago and it looks like there will be a global Zoom launch. So anyone can come on onto that. And uh, then we'll, we'll have a physical launch in, in the UK and probably other, other countries as well. So that's a book. It's personal narrative, personal stories. It's got a section of resources on on. Anything that women have said have helped, has helped them, that's in the book, uh, resource section. Um, yeah, so, and advice. Each woman gives advice to other women in the same, in the same situation. You, you don't have to sacrifice yourself to a porn-sick man for the rest of your life. Like, you deserve something better. You are worth something better. Uh, and this is, this is just not going to go well for you. And I see it's really deliberate and intentional about reforming uh, his life and becoming porn free and the men in this book were not intentional about that at all well i can't wait to get my hands on this book and it sounds like a completely brilliant and very timely book um and remember guys you can get this book and and check out other books that melinda has written that sound like they'll be really really helpful for us in our work with young people so melinda can i just say a huge thank you to you for joining us from the other side of the world completely different time zone in the middle of a very exhausting book tour Thank you for listening to the voices of young people and for helping practitioners like us that have devoted our lives to supporting and championing young people. Thank you for helping us be aware and to be brave as we um, stand up and speak out on things that really matter the most. Thank you so much. Great interview, great way to round up this series of big conversations uh, that, that we've had about having big conversations. Yeah. It's very meta, isn't it, uh, with, uh, with young people. Um, and it's, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Some of these things are quite timeless. Mm. Some of them 
you know, like like porn mm. as a as a subject. That's not a new thing. Like that was an issue when I was a teenager. Just it was just new evolutions not of them, on, isn't it? Yeah. On, it was just written on stone tablets when yeah. I was a child. Um, <laughs> but but you know, some of these issues just evolve and they yeah. just continue. Issues like money, issues like disability. Like these aren't new things that we don't we have to grapple with. But we need to grapple with them in in new ways. And it's interesting to think about how each of these kind of subjects that we've we've looked at over the last 10 episodes will evolve and how our thinking and our conversations about them with young people might also need to change up and evolve can you imagine what conversations might be being had in 20 years time 50 years time between youth workers working in a christian context and young people it's it's, sometimes it's hard to imagine what Mm. there'll be some of the same as you say mental health disability all that stuff but I just think as the world changes, like as climate yeah. change really kicks in and there's mm. going to be mass movement of people. I, you know, I wonder that there'll be a time where conversations around immigration will just be so incredibly toxic yes. and difficult. And there won't yeah. be a single corner of the planet that won't have been affected by mass population yeah. movement. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I can't predict what those those things will be you just now before we started recording said that you think sex with robots is going to be a thing well i just think if you look at the you know the trajectory of travel with with virtual reality and and, you know pornography often um drives innovation in tech it does doesn't it and and pleasure the the motivation for pleasure um is an interesting one And and i do think you know what it means to be human what it means to have human interaction I just think that that is not a, an un, an impossible future yeah, that, right. that you'll have conversations with teenagers about <laughs> masturbation with, with machines and, and sex with robots. I think that will be part of our conversation. And if we're struggling now to have conversations, oh my goodness, how much more then? Although I did I did hear about an amazing thought experiment. I can't think of the name of the guy that did it. I bet Dave will know because he's got the planet brain with all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but he's not allowed to say anything. He's not allowed to, but he might spell it out um, for me. But um, in 1974, this guy did a thought experiment he wanted to kind of debunk the idea that the greatest motivator in humanity is the, is the motivator of pleasure if mm. something feels nice i will choose that over everything else and he so he said a, a thought experiment he said to people if you could enter a machine or like a flotation tank where in that flotation tank your experiences are exactly what you want them to be you could project your best kind of life and if in that flotation tank you could almost forget what your actual life is normally like mm. the struggles and challenges would you want life in the machine? Would you want the flotation tank? And he was expecting people to say yes mm. and for hedonism to be like, yeah, of course, people want what they yeah, want. Yeah. And everyone in the experiment said no. They'd rather have the reality, as yeah, tough as it is, the light and shade, rather than the fake. And yeah. I think as conversations move forward, we will be dealing with the most the things in the future that we can't even imagine but actually essentially the kind of the cry heart of our identity our kind of the eternity that's built within us i think will anchor us constantly to something ancient that increasingly the church will need to help give voice to because society as a whole will not quite know what are we anchored to Mm. what is helping us create some kind of ethic around you know immigration caring for the elderly all these big topics that are going to get increasingly more complex as our science improves, who's going to anchor those conversations in something more than just what makes my life easier? We've yeah. got to have a bigger ethic. So yeah. youth workers, as per usual, I think we're going to be at the front line of, of not just church life, but societal life as well. And we can't predict what's coming, but starting now, um, one of the things that we can do is help young people 
to to know how to have difficult conversations, mm-hmm. how to think and speak. So think theologically, speak professionally, some of the themes that have come up in this season. You know, how to disagree well, yeah, how to express opinions without fear of being cancelled yes. and how to allow people to hold a different space to you and express a different opinion to you without feeling the need to cancel them. Yes. You know, those are the skills that we can be, that are, that are going to be long-term investment. So those are the things that we can be putting into young people now that will serve them best for the long term. Uh, it's been a great season. Really enjoyed it. It's been great being with you, oh, Rachel, as big ever. Big fat ditto. And uh, we're going to do something together in the summer. We are, but it's not a live podcast. No, Phew! no. I'm so glad to hear. No, but no, no, this no. summer, roll up your sleeping bag, get your wet wipes, come on your own to be part of the team, bring young people. If you haven't booked in for the whole time, you can get day tickets. People, we are talking about the festival to end all festivals. Let's hope not called satellites yeah this is just the beginning of, of lots of many <laughs> lovely years but satellites on the Peterborough showground so Yay. it's not too late to, to come for the day and just see what is happening and be involved with something really exciting we have got an absolutely phenomenal program how this has happened actually what's been one it's been a wonderful exercise in democracy so i went to some people earlier in the year and said hey you you would you mind looking after this stream over here and would you mind looking after this bit of the program and then there was suddenly a moment a few weeks ago where i i got to look at the whole kind of everything that was going to happen i was thinking wow like we've got like enough here for about five youth festivals so it's gonna be sensational i would say that but honestly it'd be so good um and you can find out all about it at wearesatellites.com um if you you can still book in actually you can still book in for the whole thing you can bring a youth group you can join a team but another thing that you might be interested in is that we've now released day tickets so if you just want to come for a little spiritual top up with your young people or you want to see what it's like for next year uh, you can come for just a day or a couple of days. You can come bring a tent and just come overnight if you want to. Uh, all the details are on our website. On day four, which is the Friday, the 12th of August, there's a special kind of focus on youth leaders who are thinking of, you know, uh, try before you buy, yeah. are thinking of, of coming along next year. And so there'll be a whole uh, sort of stream of content and seminars dedicated to youth leaders on that day. So if you want to come to a p- specific day of, uh, of satellites, then Friday the 12th is the one to aim for. But you can get day tickets for all five days and we would love to see you there. Rachel, yes, that is where I will see you next. I know! Can we meet over some kind of weird waffle pancake? Because I was, as you were speaking, I was obviously listening intently to every word, but my mind went straight to a memory. And I tend to only eat this thing at Christian youth festivals that yeah. have like food trucks. Yeah. It's cheesy fries with like jalapenos oh, and yeah. all kinds of, or yeah, it's we'll a kind those. of a pancake waffle thing. Yeah. Don't know why Not together I only though. Eat those. Yeah. Don't know why. I mean, mainly beige food. Can we, can we meet over one of those? There'll be so much beige. Food. Don't worry. It's going to be all oh, beige. So much beige food. So come and meet us there. There's going to be lots of chance to hang out. We can't, come and say hi. Come and say hi. And producer Dave said, you guys, if there are any conversations you would like us to have on this podcast, any themes you'd like us to tackle, any feedback you'd like to give us. Be gentle. Um, be gentle and kind. But we will hear you because we're not about to say no to feedback that will be constructive and helpful because it's all about modelling that. So please do get in touch and you can contact us. My lovely colleague will now tell us how you can contact us. Because <laughs> you don't via know. Via uh, podcast. 
Yeah. Podcast at youthscape.co.uk. Oh, that is glorious. Or you can uh, Instagram us. Uh, Youthscape Podcast is our Instagram handle. Or you can uh, you, you can tweet us. No one does that anymore, except you. Uh, <laughs> and that's uh, that's at Youthscape. Uh, or you can probably just ring us up or visit us in Luton. Visit and shout the door. Where neither of us live. We love you guys. Thank you for being with us in this course. And we will see you this summer. Bye.